want to greet each of you in Jesus' name again this evening and welcome you here. I trust you are happy to be here. God is good in giving us this opportunity again. Isaiah 57, 15, all together. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Is there anyone that would like to uh, volunteer to repeat that by yourself? Thank you. This evening, the message title is Men and Women After God's Own Heart. And you may recognize that as a phrase that is used concerning David. In the Old Testament, David is known as a man after God's own heart. I believe we need men and women today who are after God's own heart. For the purpose of comparison, we want to think, look a little bit first of all at the at King Saul. King Saul had a good beginning. And I want to notice a number of those things. First of all, first Samuel chapter nine will be in first Samuel a lot this evening. I have been impressed a number of times with the way King Saul was when he was going to be anointed king and even after he was anointed king. Our first impressions when we think of King Saul is of someone who didn't do as he ought and ended up not having his line follow in the kingship because of that. But he had made right choices early on. In 1 Samuel 9, 21, is where Samuel had come to Saul. 1 Samuel 9, 21. Samuel had come to Saul and was going to anoint him king. And this was Saul's answer. And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family is the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? You see there Saul's humility. He was small in his own sight. He said his family is the least of well, first of all, he said that his tribe is the smallest of the tribes of Israel. His family is the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. And why are you talking this way to me, to make me king? He actually shrank back from, from being anointed king. In chapter 10 of 1 Samuel 22, this was the public anointing of Saul, and they did it by taking lots. So when they gave lots among the tribes, his tribe was taken. Among the families, his family was taken. And then Saul, it says in verse 21, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. And they couldn't find him when, after choosing first by the tribe and then by the families and then by the man, the people, they couldn't find him. Verse 22, therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. 
And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. Saul was head and shoulders taller than any of the people, and yet he hid himself. He didn't really want to be king, or I don't know if it was his humility caused him to be that way. He shrank back, anyways, from being king. After Saul was anointed king, there were some of the people who weren't happy with it in verse 27 of 1 Samuel 10. But the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Here, he was insulted by some of the people, and they belittled him. He, experienced, he exhibited self-control in the face of that. He held his peace. Then in chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, there had been war. God gave them the victory with Saul as the leader. And notice what it says in verses 12 and 13 of 1 Samuel 11. And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. I was impressed again here with Saul that when others suggested that those who had insulted him previously should be put to death, Saul says, no, he was merciful. He said, there shall not a man be put to death today. And instead of focusing on that wrong of those people, he said, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. He was happy for what God had done for them. Saul made a lot of good choices in his early, early kingship and his early life. However, that did not continue. And I invite you to go back now to 1 Samuel 15. Here, Saul had done wrong. Samuel came to confront him with that. And notice what Samuel said, 1 Samuel 15, 17. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord, Lord anointed thee king over Israel? There is the key to Saul. He was small in his own sight earlier, but that changed somewhere along the line. Now I want to think more for now concerning King David. And there are just a number of characteristics of David which are commendable, which we should emulate. David was, however, human, and he did make mistakes, and those also are recorded in Scripture. God when he wrote the Bible through people, gave the good and the bad together. It is for our admonition and for our learning. We see the good and we realize this is what, how I should serve God. We see the things that were not serving God and those are for us to avoid. The scripture was written for our learning. In 1 Samuel 16, David was chosen as to be the future king of Israel. It was a while before he was actually anointed king then. But in 1 Samuel 16, starting at verse 11... Samuel had come to 
anoint one of the sons of Jesse. And I don't think we'll read through that whole passage, but Samuel looked at the older ones first, and they appeared to be good people, and he thought, oh, this would be a good king, this would be a good king. The Lord said, no, it's not these people, it's not these sons. Finally, in verse 11, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel anointed David as king of Israel. And yet David was not actually king for quite a number of years after this yet. In fact... He did a number of other things that we read of in verse 19 of this chapter, 1 Samuel 16:19. Saul sent for David, and Saul was having trouble with an evil spirit. Saul's servants told him, Someone should come and play music for you and this evil spirit will depart from you. And I don't have all the answers to all the questions that could be about that. It ended up that they called David in and he played before Saul and it helped Saul at that time. In chapter 17, you have David Chapter 17, verse 15, David again returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. That was right at the time when there was a war and the three oldest of David's brothers went to fight in the war. They followed Saul. Maybe he was needed at home now or maybe because Saul was not at the palace at that time that he wasn't needed there. David went home even though he had been in the palace of the king, he was humble enough to return to his home and keep the sheep again. Humility. David was a humble person. He was a prompt, he was prompt to obey. We see in verses 17 through 20 when David's father asked him to go to where his brothers were. He was to take some supplies, corn, some loaves, and some cheese, and go and see how his brothers were doing. And it impresses me how it says in verse 20, And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and went. Prompt obedience. Prompt obedience is important for each one of us. When God tells us what to do, are we prompt in obeying? The Holy Spirit prompts us to do something. Are we prompt in obeying? I noticed in verse 26 about David. Here, Goliath was coming out, was challenging the army of Israel. Send me a man that we may fight and he was saying all kinds of things. He said, I defy the... Surely to defy Israel is he come. And Goliath said a number of things against the God of Israel. And in, in verse 26, notice what David said. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth his Philistines and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David recognized this heathen person as defying God. As David spoke this way, 
his brothers did not understand him and they accused him of something that wasn't really so. Verses 28 and 29. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? They were blaming David for coming for his own curiosity to see the battle. David believed he had a reason for coming. He was asked to come by his father. He was in obedience to his father. And that is why he came. Also, I believe David was more concerned about God's honor than his own safety. If you look down in verses 36 and 37, when Saul was questioning David about his ability, how can you go against this man? This is what David had to say. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. David was not concerned about himself. He was concerned for the honor and glory of God. God needs men and women today who are concerned about his honor and glory rather than their own egos, reputations. David had faith in God, trust in God. He saw God helping him in the smaller things as keeping the sheep, protecting them from the wild beasts. And he believed now that God would also protect him against this heathen person, this uncircumcised Philistine. And that comes out when David was meeting Goliath. I'll read now verses 45 through 47. Notice what David said to the Philistine. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David's faith and trust was in God. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. He reminded the Philistine, that he has defied this God. He said in verse 36 that God would deliver the Philistine into his hands. Why? So that all the earth would know that there is a God in Israel. And we know the outcome, what the outcome was. Saul, David, did triumph over the giant, and there was a great victory for the children of Israel as a result of trusting in God by this one person. Where were all of these other people? All of these older people. Soldiers, where was their trust in God? You mean out of all of them, only one was ready to trust 
God to that degree? Think about it this way then. In our day, how often would things be much different if just one of us were willing to stand for the right? We get in a crowd, the opinion is going a certain way, there may be plenty of people there who are questioning it, but they're not quite willing to stand up for it. But if one person is ready to stand up, there are often others who are ready to join in for the honor and glory of God. Saul, after that, would, it says in the second verse of chapter 18, that Saul would not would let him go no more home to his father's house. Saul noticed this young man and the value that he was. Four times in chapter 18, it tells us that David behaved himself wisely. He was set over the men of war. He became a leader and he was accepted by them. He was a person of integrity, and they all knew it. However, the time came then in chapter 18 when David fell out of favor with Saul. Why? Not because of anything that David had done wrong, but they came back from a war, and... The people, the women, came out to meet the army as they came back. They were rejoicing and happy with the victory, but they said something that was offensive to Saul. Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Verse 8, And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands, and what can he have more? but the kingdom. So after this, David's life was in danger many times. I mentioned early on that David was not sinless and we do have recorded some of his failings. In chapter 21, There are especially two verses that show David um, doing things that were not honest. For Samuel 21, verse 2, And David said unto Abimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. David was fleeing from the king. The king did not send him to do something. So David was actually lying here. And that's just about all we can say about it. He was lying. In verse 13, David resorted to false pretense. This was when he was in front of the king of Achish and he was scared, he was in a tight spot. 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 13, and he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. And they, they dismissed David as being someone who's not in his right mind. And he was able to depart and escape from them. I believe God would have prepared a way for David to escape. If you remember, we are told in the New Testament that there hath no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able. Will with the temptation also make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. Going on to chapter 24, King David. Here, he again was doing right, and 
was returning good for evil. David had respect to Saul's office. David did not kill King Saul when he could have, and even when King Saul was was going after David, was pursuing him, trying to kill him, Saul was saved when even when King David, excuse me, he wasn't king yet, when he had the opportunity that he could have slain him. 24, verse 4, And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemies into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. He did that to prove to Saul that he was very close to him and that he could have killed him. But David returned good for evil. He respected Saul for who he was. Notice in verse 10, Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee, but mine eye spared thee, and I said, I will not pour forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Again, King David making right choices, good choices, even though it would have been easier for him to get rid of Saul at that point. We then have, skipping back to chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, a very low point in the life of David. At one time when David was away from where he was living, enemies came and took captive the wives, the sons, and the daughters of the men of war that were with David. And in fact, David's own wives and children were taken. And I'll read verses here, 4 through 8 of 1 Samuel 30. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahimaam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God, and David said to Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David, And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and and without fail recover all. So David was greatly distressed. We read here in verse 6, The people spake of stoning him. They were also distressed and For some reason, they were blaming David for this. It says at the end of that verse, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I've wondered sometimes just exactly what all David did to encourage himself in the Lord his God. But when we read the Psalms, and we will later, later we will read a couple of the Psalms, there are many Psalms which describe David's trust in God, David's praise of God. David believed God and trusted in the promises that God gave him. David, here, it says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What did he do right after that? He inquired of God. He asked for the ephod to be brought and they used the Urim and the Thummim, I think that's what it's called, in the ephod to determine what God's will was. The priest took care of that. And David inquired of the Lord and David had his answer and they did then recover all. 
David inquired of God, and he did this many times in his lifetime. He, it tells us often that David inquired of God. I believe that is one thing that made David a man after God's own heart. Today, God's people can inquire of God whenever they want to. They don't need to go to a priest and ask him to use the, bring the ephod and inquire for them. They can go to God themselves. Each of us can go to God and inquire of him. Another thing I noticed in this chapter concerning David, he did not tolerate injustice. There had been some people when David went to recover their families and their things from the ones that took them captive, some of the people had been faint and they stayed back with the stuff while the others went to the battle. Notice what some of the people wanted to do then. In verse 21 of chapter 30, And David came to the 200 men which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook, Bezor, and they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial and of those that went with David and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff, they shall part alike." And so it was from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. David did not tolerate injustice and he gave due credit to God. The Lord, that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company into our hand. David's focus was on God. He was a man after God's own heart. Then came the time when Saul died. Not by David's hand, but in battle. And after Saul's death, David yet shows respect to Saul and Jonathan. 2 Samuel 1 Verses 14 and 15. And David said unto him. Now this is concerning the person who's finished Saul. It might be a crude way of saying it. Who came upon Saul when he was quite wounded. And Saul asked him to kill him. And he did. And this is what David had to say. Verses 14 and 15. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. Then notice in 23 to 27, Saul and Jonathan, this is a song that David sang, Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions, and... David goes on here praising those who fell in the battle and Saul and Jonathan. Verse 26, I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the war, weapons of war perished? So David showed respect to the house of Saul and Jonathan. They were, Saul, act, Saul was, after all, God's anointed king. David inquires of God again in chapter 2 about what he should do 
um, after Saul's death, should he go up to the city, any of the cities of Israel, God told him to go up to Hebron. And there it was that David was made king. But here it tells us something that I believe was detrimental to David. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, excuse me, the children of Israel were commanded that they should not multiply wives to themselves because this would have the effect of turning their heart away from God. And here, well, it's in chapter 3, actually, we have King David multiplying to himself wives. He had six sons from six different wives. And, in fact, he took more wives and concubines in chapter 5. David went against the commandment of God, and it did it did cause problems in his house. Another thing, and I'm not going to turn to this, but in 2 Kings 1, you have the account of David and his son Adonijah. There is a comment made in verse 6 about David and his son Adonijah. It says that his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, why hast thou done so? David failed his son there and Adonijah ended up rising up against his father, wanting to be king and that did not work. Then in 2 Samuel 11, we have the matter of David and Bathsheba. Again, realize that David was not sinless. Here, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Not only adultery then, but murder in the matter of her husband, Uriah, when David could not cover his sin by Uriah. He committed murder through through other people, had Uriah killed in the battle, and it was sin. David repented. Second Samuel twelve thirteen. This is when Nathan the prophet came to King David and told him his sin what he had done. He spake a parable to him and David's judgment in that parable or in that story, David gave judgment and said that person should die. Look in verse 5. As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then, and Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Nathan went through and explained the matter clearly to David, what he had done wrong. The response of David to Nathan is very significant. Verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. And then he goes on to say, However, there would be consequences for that sin. The child that was born would die. So David repented. And that is, to me, that is one of the biggest characteristics of David in his life that made him a man after God's own heart, his repentance. When he was challenged, when he was made aware of his sin, he would repent. I have sinned. And not only did he repent, but he did not 
try to cast the blame on someone else. So David repented. Even though he repented, there were consequences, especially for this sin. The child died. And some other consequences that we may not think about in connection with this is that there was trouble in David's house from there on out among David's sons. You have one after the other, sons rising up, David's sons rising up against their father and trying to take the kingdom, Absalom. I think there was another one as well. And David had trouble in his house. He repented, but it seems that his sin had a detrimental effect upon his children that he could not he could not control. Now I want to think about David and Saul. I did mention already that when David was confronted with sin, he repented. Saul was quite different. Go back now to 1 Samuel 15. Saul was to go and fight against the Amalekites. He was to destroy everything. And we'll notice what happened. 1 Samuel 15, verses 19 through 24. The prophet Samuel came and confronted Saul with his sin. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And then after that, Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, in verse 24, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. It seemed that Saul could not get finished blaming his faults on others, on the people. And I would then remind you what Samuel said to Saul. Now let me see, where is that? Yes, verse 17. When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? Someone has said that in every problem, Pride is probably involved. In this problem, pride was here. Saul had been small in his own sight before. Now it was not that way. He thought he could do things his way and blame it on others and get by, but he could not. King David, on the other hand, when he was confronted, he repented. And that happened over and over again in his lifetime. He repented. I invite you to the book of Psalms. Psalm 51.
King David wrote a lot of the Psalms, not all of them, but he wrote a number of them. Psalm 51 was written after Nathan had come to him and confronted him about going into Bathsheba. Psalm 51, I'll read some of this psalm. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. King David knew how to repent. He did not try to blame his faults on other people. He went to God. He called for mercy from God. He acknowledged who God was and that who he was, that he had iniquity. In verse 2, he wanted to be washed from his iniquity. He wanted to be cleansed from his sin. He acknowledged his transgressions, his sin. He said, my sin is ever before me. He acknowledged in verse 4 that he had sinned against God and that he was he had this sin nature in him. Turn with me also to Psalm 32. Again, David, and this is the subject of sin and repentance. I am blessed by this psalm as well. Psalm 32, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said... I will confess thy transgression, my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouths must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. King David is pronouncing blessing on those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, and unto those whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Guile is, I think another word would be trickery. You're trying to maybe give the impression of one thing, but the truth is another. Mislead a person. And that can happen in the subject of sin. Try to mislead a person into thinking that we're not as bad as we appear or that it wasn't our fault. Notice verse 3. David's saying about when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. 
David was troubled. I believe this was in relation to his sin. He was troubled. His conscience troubled him. He didn't want to admit it. But his conscience troubled him and caused him trouble. I don't know how you find it, but in those times when we have something we need to confess to another person, we wait, our conscience troubles us, we wait, our conscience troubles us, we wait. Finally, we can't handle it anymore, and we confess. Confessing is agreeing with God. God says that sin is sin. When we confess our sin, we're agreeing with God that sin is sin. David said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee. Mine iniquity have I not hid. I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. After we confess our sin, if it affects some other people, we need to confess to them. We need to confess to God. And when that is done, we are forgiven. Such a load goes off of our shoulders. And we wonder, why ever did I wait this long? Why didn't I do this long ago? And then the rest of the psalm here, I see David as being relieved that his sin is gone, that it is forgiven, and that he can trust in God. God hides him, preserves him from trouble, and that David does not need to be as a horse or as a mule with a bit and bridle in his mouth to be told which way to go, but he voluntarily follows his God. And David can end up with verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. That sounds to me like a man after God's own heart. He is forgiven. He is rejoicing in God. God has been faithful. He has responded. And there is nothing better than peace with God and with one another. Saul started out right. He was humble. He was small in his own sight. That came to an end. And his end was not very good. I believe that David could say, Rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Each one of us who have our sins under the blood can do the same, who have our relationships with one another in the clear, we can also rejoice. May God bless you as you continue on. We'll call for another song.